0: James chapter 5, and we are at the end of this little letter, the oldest in the New Testament by way of age in terms of when it was written, from the pastor at Jerusalem, half-brother of Jesus Christ, James the Just, converted because he saw a resurrected Savior, God the Son, his half-brother Jesus transformed, changed, and became what was called the bulwark of the people, meaning he was a fortress of protection, and he was known as Camel Knees because of his conviction and practice of prayer. So James is someone with whom we can benefit as he writes to the early church to talk about the conduct consistent with real Christianity. If you say you have faith, in part, this is what it looks like. And um, so today, as we come to the end of the book, and we're aiming at 13 through 18 today, and then, Lord willing, one final installment after that, let me just give you a couple of perspectives. I'm calling this, and I'm going to give you my title right at the gate Life Fragile Handle It with Prayer. Life Fragile. Handle it with prayer. When I uh, was a seminary student, it was at the beginning of the computer um, age, if you will. Computers used to be building size, room size, and when I was a seminary student, they had just come out with the portable size. And the portable size, just to give you context, was 25 pounds. So I had one of the first computers, portable, two floppy drives, a a nine-inch monitor, called a K-Pro2. And it's interesting, the two first portable computers, companies, went bankrupt, not but five years into their journey. So apparently it's hard to begin in that particular uh, zone of business and be successful. But I bought a K-Pro2. And I'd heard about it, I, I'm, I'm not a great typist, and what kind of attracted me is that whole word processing thing. Uh, the ability to type and erase, and then I had a dot matrix printer. Anybody remember that? Like, yeah, I had nine dots, and I thought I was doing good. And uh, <clears throat> so I did the research, which I would normally do, and identified the K-Pro2 as the best option for my budget, and. Man, I couldn't find it anywhere. It was sold out, it was popular, and uh, finally found it in Pennsylvania. And I'm in Virginia, but I grew up outside of Philadelphia. And uh, so traveled back and found what I wanted, and turned out that they only had the display model, so they had to ship it to me, which they said they would do. So I travel back to Lynchburg and wait. Excitedly, because i got a thesis to do. This is my secret weapon to my thesis. And uh, so it arrives. It's delivered. But the right side of the box was crushed. I mean, the whole right front corner was just crushed. And therefore, I was crushed. Now, I opened the box up with all of the anxiety you would feel if you knew your secret weapon was probably not going to be workable. And I was shocked, because KPRO had packaged my computer with two boxes. Outside box, and airbags all the way around. I mean, like, real airbags. So, the box that the computer was in, totally undamaged. And so, I, A, I was uber grateful. And two, when I opened it up, it was flawless. There was nothing at all wrong. And on the outside of the box it had said, fragile, glass, handle with care. <laughs> and I'm going, what in the world? Who delivered this and what were they thinking? And I think what they were thinking is, this is not mine, and I don't care. <laughs> Same season of life. Going through seminary, am managing a sporting goods store at the local mall. We got goods in weekly. We were in the uh, the Atlantic uh, Coast Conference, the ACC, and we got a shipment because North Carolina Tar Heels won the national title. And over Christmas, people wanted any souvenir to celebrate. And so we got in boxes of big mugs with UNC Tar Heels imprinted on them. And we had sold out. We were waiting for new boxes. In they came on Monday. And uh, myself and my assistant manager were unpacking, and we opened up the boxes, which, by the way, said, fragile, glass, handle with care. And so we opened up the first boxes, and nearly every mug was chipped, broken, or shattered. The box looked perfect, but what was in the box had endured Obvious abuse that was unseen. The kind of things that I guess you could say were negligible that weren't really negligible in terms of how it, it, how it impacted it. And I start with that just to get some clarity in your mind of why I'm entitling this Life, Fragile, Handle with Care. Not glass, but life. Because what went through my mind, by way of the point, is in the first case, though the package had suffered mistreatment, my portable computer, and abuse really, the valuable and fragile contents were undamaged because they were protected by cushions of air. In the second case, though outwardly the box showed no sign of damage, the lack of protective padding resulted in damage and destruction. And I see the contrast in these two situations as analogous to a life cushioned with prayer and a life that isn't. I want to suggest that our lives are fragile and like glass are to be handled with care, but often the circumstances of life. And sometimes because people ignore the implied warning that we're valuable and we're to be and fragile and to be handled with care, We endured mistreatment. Our lives are not properly cushioned, not properly protected, and the result is, even if it's not apparent on the outside, overtly or explicitly, we can be shattered. On the other hand, if we are protected, lives surrounded by prayer, though struck by a most severe blow, You know, when whoever it is that we're entrusting our lives to mistreats us or treats us in a way that's careless or casual, we still endure because we are protected and we are supported. We are cushioned, if you will, by prayer. Now, I say that as an introduction because I want you to feel the context of what James is saying. This is in the context of... Of difficulty. This is mistreatment. This is enduring difficulty. The persecution is hard to measure. We've just come out of the early chapter, early portion of the fifth chapter of James. You talk about the materialist, the person who has assets and who abuses and misuses and mistreats, and then he triggers into the category of, well, what do I do if I'm one of those people that is mistreated by others, the powerful for the less powerful? Here's what I would want you to hear as he talks about this, and we'll set the context and we'll work our way down to verse 13. Verse 6, chapter 5, after he talks about the rich, injurious foolish materialist as a descriptor of their life verse 6 you have condemned and put to death the righteous man it's one of the characteristics you'll do whatever it takes to get whatever you want no boundaries you're ruthless they do not resist you so it's the powerful over the powerless Verse 7, therefore, connects it to this. This paragraph gets connected. And I think the connection is, well, if you're the one who can't resist because you're powerless, ruthlessly treated, what do you do? Therefore, verse 7, be patient. Brethren, until the coming of the Lord, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, even though you're mistreated. You be patient, stop complaining against one another, so that yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. So this was the titled message, Do Right When You've Been Done Wrong. What do you do? You express patience, you wait on true justice, and thirdly, you stop complaining. Verse 10, and he gives examples as to how and why you can live this way. As an example, brethren, of suffering, see the word suffering, and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord, we count those blessed who endured, You have heard of the endurance of Job and you've seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. So look at the past, some signatory uh, examples, prophets and Job, where God was gracious to them and they endured with patience even though the suffering was great. Verse 12, but, because this is what you're tempted to do instead of being patient, instead of not complaining, Instead of enduring graciously, trusting the Lord, verse 12, but but above all, my brethren, do not swear. Retaliate with the weapon of words. Why? I've been mistreated. This is justified. I might not be big enough to hurt you, but my mouth works. And I'm going to talk to you in a way that recognizes that you deserve judgment, and I want God to judge you. And my words are hurtful. And we spent a whole series of uh, messages on that. So above all, whatever you do, don't do this. Don't swear by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. In other words, I swear by God you're going to pay for this. Or you you curse them, sending them, saying, hey, go to hell. I want you to experience what you deserve because you've so hurt me. So don't make an oath like that. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. Now, verse 13. So that's the setup, suffering. Deal with it rightly. Difficulty should be dealt with in this way. And I've got tons of feedback, Rusty, and I don't know how to help it. But keep me in the charming mode, okay? Here you go, verse 13. So is anyone among you suffering? You're enduring abuse. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. So watch the word pray repeated. Is anyone cheerful? Life's going well. Let him, he is to sing praises. Literally pray praises. Fourteen. Is anyone among you sick? then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray. So you have you pray, you have elders pray. Verse 14, sick, you call for the elders of the church, they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Verse 15, and the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he's committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Verse 16, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. All right? So you pray, elders pray, and then we pray for one another so that you may be healed. The ground, bottom line, basis for these encouragements and exhortations this praying approach to difficulty, the effective, verse 16 at the end, the effective or the effectual. Some of your Bibles will say fervent prayer. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. How much? I've got big things my prayer needs consist of. Verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again and the sky poured rain and the earth produced its fruit. Life. Fragile. Handle it with prayer. In suffering, here's my four-point outline. In suffering, in sunshine, in sickness, and in sin. Those are the categories that James is going to address that I want you to consider as to how you respond to those realities in life. Why? Because of the power of prayer. The natural question is why should we pray in these categories? Because prayer offers the cushion, the support, the protection, which protects us in the trials of life. It's a tremendous power to effect real change. Look at the fact 16b at the end. This is the truth. The effective prayer of a righteous man, can accomplish much. And in the emphatic position in the original language is the word much. So this verse starts with much. And in the Greek language, they put stuff that they want to emphasize at the front, primary, or at the end, secondary. It's a way of saying it's, it's highlighted. It's bold-faced. Because prayer... Now listen to this. The passive verb, effectual, energeto, when it is energized. So when the prayer is energized, it becomes effectual. It's like if you play those video games and your little character gets uh, highlighted in a way that says this guy's invincible. Okay? Whatever that signal is, he's energized. Mario, you don't want to mess with him because he's invincible, he's powerful. Prayer, and the word for prayer is deasis. Okay, there's a lot of words for prayer in the New Testament, and they have nuanced meaning. Deasis has to do the energized requests that are specific, where the person is desperate. It's used of a beggar. I'm hungry, I've got to eat. Deasis is a specific request for a specific need driven by a strong desire. The energized praying, that kind of praying, can accomplish much. Well, how much? Well, let me tell you about Elijah. Well, yeah, yeah, he was a prophet. He was like Moses. They did those sign and wonders things. Just like the apostles, I'm none of those things. Well, good news, because the writer of James, James the writer, the pastor, says, I want you to understand, this is not because you have an office. It's not because you're in a particular season of church or uh, history, covenant history with God and his people. It doesn't matter whether you're a super leader or an assigned position or officer in the church, the foundation of the church being the apostles, they validated their apostleship and their credibility and revelation because these sign gifts, the miracles they did, validated the credibility of the revelation that they shared. This doesn't matter because this says, or that doesn't matter because this says Elijah was a man with a nature like ours which is to say, he's just like you. This is not about an office or a special credential, special status. If you're a Christian, just like you, Elijah was, he had the capacity to evoke mammoth consequences, miraculous consequences. Well, how big are the consequences? I don't want it to rain for three and a half years. 1 Kings 17, 1. And then after the three and a half years, he prays, and we're going to look at it in a little more detail in a little while. He prays passionately, persistently, being energized as a prayer for a specific purpose that it might rain, and guess what it did? It rained. And this is your example to promote The priority to motivate both your desire, your faith, and your conviction that you are not impotent when you pray. You have the power through prayer, listen to this, to do anything that God can do. God's the only one who can make it not rain for three and a half years because prayer accesses God. And if there's anything true about God's people, we ought to be a praying people. We ought to be a passionate, hopeful, praying people because we have a God who makes promises. And I'm going to talk, Lord willing, in the time that we have about what the criteria are, the characteristics, the ingredients are for energized praying. Because obviously, you can't just say, hey, I want this to happen, and it's going to happen. The whole name it and claim it thing. This is not name it and claim it. But one of the challenges in our, I think, our brand of Christianity is you're so repulsed by the name it, claim it thing, you don't think you have anything. That's not what James would say. I mean, this is like a hyperbole big example. He's using an example to say if you're dealing with life's difficulties, suffering, sickness, sin, prayer has the power to rescue, to deliver, to protect, to cushion. Don't waste it. These are prescriptive verbs, meaning they are imperative verbs. If you're suffering, Suffering is to endure difficulty and evil. It's abusive. It's hard. It's mistreatment. It is any kind of outward difficulty. People are mistreating you. Your neighbors are mistreating you. Your family's mistreating you. It's injurious. It's hurtful. What do you do? Verse 13, you pray. Do you see the word must? You must pray. No, no, I need to call somebody. Right? I need to do something. Above all, don't swear. But I'll tell you what you must do. You must pray. You must seek the Lord for help in the affliction. When you suffer evil blows from the outside world, someone is beating on your box, it's marked fragile, handle with care, and you're being mailed through life, and somebody's abusing and misusing, some UPS workers chucking you to the back of the box or the, the truck, throwing you on the porch, you're being mistreated, you're encountering some trial, what are you going to do? Retaliate? No. What are you going to do? Swear. Absolutely not. What are you going to do? You must say it. Pray. Thank you. I know I'm throwing that in just to wake you up. Okay? You must pray. Now, what are you praying for? Well, let me highlight this. The word pray is in the middle voice. The middle voice, the direct middle voice. This is a grammar thing, and I know you're not in Greek class, but I want to help you understand why I'm going to say this with such authority. The middle voice means this is an action you must take, listen to this, for your own benefit. The subject must do it. And the reason they do it is for themselves. So it it would sound like this. When you're suffering, you must pray for yourself. Because I think when we're suffering, we want to pray at somebody else. God, crush them, fix them. I know you don't pray that way, but sometimes I'm tempted to. You pray for yourself. When you suffer, you must pray for yourself. Why is that? Because you need help. You need help, number one, for what? Wisdom. I'm going to give you just a couple of things, prayer requests for yourself. James 1, five. since you lack wisdom, what's the context? Trial. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. You know that trials can be productive. The only way trials are productive is if you see them for what they are and you cooperate with God who's governing the trial. You pray for wisdom. Since you lack wisdom, ask of God. He gives it generously without reproach. And at what? It shall be given him. You must pray for wisdom. Why? Because you don't know how to deal with the difficulty. I need leadership advice. I'm going to call an elder. I'm going to call my friend. I'm going to call my parents. I'm going to call whoever. No, you talk to God and say, God, job one, I need help. What I need help for is knowing what to do with this. Wisdom is knowing what to do and how to do it. Boiled down definition." It is skillful living, but the only way you live skillfully is if you know what God wants and then you know how to do what God wants. And that's not something you get from a book unless it's the Bible. (laughs) Or some gray-haired person who's lived a little bit, you can benefit from them, but this is divine wisdom. Wisdom comes from the Lord, Proverbs 2, verse 6. Wisdom. What do I do? How do I handle this? Number two, you're praying for yourself. Remember, what do you need? Grace and strength. Grace and strength. This is Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. I have a thorn. There's a lot of debate about the thorn in the flesh, this injurious reality is enduring. False teachers in the church at Corinth. So there's just Injury to Paul because something so precious to Paul is being threatened by people who are injuring what Paul loves, the church at Corinth. Could be his eyesight, could be physical affliction, that thorn. Some would say, and I, I would say it certainly could be spiritual pressure, oppression. It's a thorn, it says the thorn in the flesh is an angelos of Satan. So it's either a person who's acting as a messenger of Satan or it's somebody in the demonic realm, something in the demonic realm, that's afflicting him. Paul says, praying for himself, Lord, relieve me. Three times he thought God urgently and passionately, relieve me. And remember what Jesus said? The answer he got, my grace is sufficient. You know what the word sufficient means? It's all you need. There's no lack. Unmerited favor is what grace is. Grace is not something you earn. Grace is not something you deserve. Because when you're feeling pressure and you're threatened and you're being mistreated and you want to pray for yourself, one of the temptations is, lie. I don't deserve to be helped. I deserve what I'm getting. I just don't like it and it's not fair. My grace is unmerited favor for you, and it's sufficient for you. And my power, my strength, what you lack, that I have an abundance of, is made perfect. That means it's on its fullest display. It reaches its most powerful expression in your weakness and I think I've taught you this before, astheneo, which is the word for weakness, and you're going to find it in this passage, is the word strength with a big X over it. No strength cans in the cupboard. No spinach for you to swallow and become Popeye the strong sailor man. You've got nothing that you need in order to deal with the difficulty you have. Remember, this is not empowerment for retaliation. This is empowerment in order to endure with grace the challenge that is so difficult. It's cushioning you with God's strength. And Paul said, I'm going to boast in my weakness. Why? Because all of a sudden the thorns feel good? No, not because the thorns feel good. I'm boasting in my weakness because of the experience of the power of God that otherwise I would not experience. I'm going to boast in it. So here you are, life. Anybody in trouble today? You don't have to answer out loud. Anybody mistreat you this week? Yeah, as a matter of fact, this morning. Some of you are in difficult places, enduring difficult things. It's injurious and you're suffering. You must pray for yourself for the wisdom to cooperate with the God sovereign over that suffering, to seek the strength that comes from God so you can endure that suffering, so you can experience God in a way that otherwise you wouldn't, enjoying the strength of God. Number three, you want to pray for deliverance and protection. It's not wrong to say, God, both protect me and deliver me. This is Psalm 118, verse 5. From my distress, I called upon the Lord, and He answered me, and He set me in a large place. Which summarized is, I'll tell you what I was asking for when affliction came. Relief. Set me in a large place. Help me. Pray for yourself. You must pray for yourself. Handle yourself with prayer. Verse 13, second category. I called it sunshine because I needed an S. (laughs) Is anyone cheerful? Literally, it's doing well, well well-sold, like you're happy. Cheerful heart makes a, or a merry heart makes a cheerful countenance. It's that. Life's going good. Yeah, I'm appreciated at work. My family loves me. I just got a raise, I feel good, I'm about to go on vacation, whatever the category of life, because life involves not good and good. When things go really well, you know what the direct answer is, should not be? Let's party. I'm going to throw a party. Man, I'm thriving. Know what? What James is saying is you need to be praying praises. You're feeling groovy. Do we use that term anymore? I just did. (laughs) Some of you. What do you say now if you're feeling good? What's the new term? Come on, you have to have a term. Are you afraid? What are you doing? Oh, it's sick. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What a contradiction, right? You're supposed to call for the elders when you're sick. (laughs) Man, it's sick. I'm sorry. I'm having a hard time. It's like when somebody says, I say, you know, do do you want to watch the Super Bowl together? Yeah, I'm down. Down is what you say when you're not wanting to do something. I'm up for that, right? How did that happen? This dramatic shift. Upside-down world. But sunshine, literally well-sold, joy in your heart. What are you to offer? Here's the literal term: you're to say you're to sing or pray praises. It has the idea of not just singing psalms. You have a psalter, you have 150 of them, responses to life. And some of those psalms, Psalm 110, in fact, let me just give you a flavor of it. You can look at it if you want to. Since you, I, I think it's just not something naturally we would be inclined to do necessarily. Psalm 111, rather, not 110. Here's how it might sound. Your life's gone well. You're feeling good, praise the Lord. Here's the psalmist. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart in the company of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the lord they are they are studied by all who delight in them. Splendid and majestic is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonders. To be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He's given food to those who fear him. You you could fill in the blank. He's given me uh, a blessing, a raise, a privilege, an opportunity. I respect and regard him and he's blessed me. He will remember his covenant forever. He has made known to his people the power of his works and giving them the heritage of the nations. Praise You have it in Psalm 145. Psalm 145 is just a majestic hymn, song of praise. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. You're to talk about him, about how big he is, how good he is, how much he has, how wonderful he's provided. Little cornerstone. For most of us, we need to up our game when it comes to praise prayers. You must pray. And verse 13 goes on to say in James chapter 5, Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. And the must idea is carried over. And it continues in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he what must call for the elders. So you have this idea of sunshine and sorrow. suffering and sunshine. You have this season. Instead of saying, hey, let's party, it's let me give praise to God. There is sunshine. I used to sing a song growing up in my church. It was a a kid's song they taught us. There is joy, 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 joy down in my heart. (laughs) (laughs) That was sick. That was good. I'm learning. (laughs) Sunshine in your life ought to provoke songs and psalms and prayers of praise. Stop and say with sincerity. And please, one of the other things to think about is try to avoid the cliches that you pray. Try to be as specific as you can about the real God who's personal, who's done a personal and specific thing. Pray it. Praise God for it. All right, thirdly, let's get to the sick, the biblical kind of sick. Is anyone among you sick? Now, here's the astineo word, okay? So sick you have no strength. Matter of fact, you're finding it hard to pray for yourself. You may lack spiritual strength, you're beat down. You may lack emotional strength, you're just depressed. You lack spiritual strength, you're oppressed. You hear loud, dark voices. Negative speech in your head. It comes up like a well. You have no strength, no emotional strength, no spiritual strength, and obviously in this case, no physical strength. I'm so sick, I'm so weak, I need help from the outside. And notice what James says, he must call for the elders of the church and they are to pray how? Over him. Now listen, there's a kind of a beautiful ceremonial way you pray over somebody as an elder, and I get to do it periodically. They sit, you lay hands on them, they stand at the front, you lay your hands on them. At some level, you're praying over them. But the flavor of this verse is not ceremonial. It's practical. You're praying over them because they can't get out of bed. You're praying over them because they just don't have anything to offer. They're in trouble. So whether it's the suffering, or it's a physical ailment that's enduring, or a relational professional discouragement that is so weighty and overwhelming. You know what cushion you use? You get help from the outside. And in this case, he's saying you invite those officially authorized to seek God on your behalf you leverage the most influence and credible strength you can find. That doesn't mean you don't pray for each other. What it means is you get the most help you can possibly get. And in this case, it's the elders of the church, not just the old people, the credible officers of the church. That's what biblical eldership is. It's an office, overseers, pastor, teachers, officers of the church, This is why I absolutely believe in a plurality of elders. You invite the elders, that's plural. They have to come, which means they're local. So you have the local leadership in your life come. And if you're a local leader in the church, it is your trust and responsibility and privilege to come and pray over someone in need. It's not because you're embarrassed if you're in need. It's not because or you shouldn't feel embarrassed. You shouldn't feel ashamed. People get tired. People endure difficulty. Life's hard. It's a fallen world. You have significant adversaries. And when you're beat down, beat up, physically, emotionally, or spiritually, you call and say, hey, come pray for me. And here's the promise, verse 15. Oh, let let me not skip the end of 14. They pray over him. This is a participle, after. Okay, so the action of the verb, the anointing. Okay, so you pray after anointing him. Okay, so actually I should have said it this way. This is the action that happens before the main verb, which is to pray. So before praying... The elders are to anoint with oil. So there's a couple of ways to understand the word anointing. There's an official word, ceremonial anointing, like I'm becoming king, I'm a prophet, I'm anointed. There's a particular word for that. This is not that word. Okay, so this is not a ceremonial anointing. The word actually means to rub ointment. So it's it's like medicinal oil. They're to apply a physical remedy available to lend whatever, like there's all kinds of benefits to certain kinds of oils. And if you understand it this way, there's to be some kind of medicinal provision, practical provision before you pray. So it would be a medicinal rub. And after physical actions are taken to remedy a potential problem, whether something to encourage them because of the fragrance of the oil or something to strengthen them because of the medicinal effect of the oil, and then you pray for them. In other words, it's not pray and medicine or pray or pray and medicine. It's both. You do what you can do to strengthen them. Now the other way to see this is also the 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 anointing, even though I just told you it's not the word for some ceremonial thing. It can be a tool. Where G, remember Jesus healed the blind man and he spit in the, in the dirt and kind of got a clay and put it on his eyes. What was that about? Did the clay have some medicinal effect? No, the clay was a trigger of faith to enable the man to see that something was happening to him, even though he couldn't see that something was, remember, he's blind. So he has this tool to stimulate his faith that something is going to happen to him, and what the one speaking to him has the capacity to deliver him. So it has been argued, and I don't think it's a bad argument, I don't think it's the main argument, that a symbol can be a trigger or a tool to stimulate faith. So you have this little bottle of oil and you take that oil, put it on your finger and place it on their head and by doing that, you're not saying, hey, this is medicine. This is a symbol of the work that God is able to do. And I'm encouraging you that he's willing to work when we pray. And this is a a tool to stimulate faith. So this idea of anointing with oil, whatever the elders do, it's designed to provoke encouragement and faith in the one receiving the prayer. And it may even be a practical tool to guarantee or to assure that some measure has been taken to deal with their perceived physical need. So... Verse fifteen. Oh, they anoint in the name of the Lord. Let me let me address that. Name of the Lord. If you're anointing someone in the name of the Lord, you're going, I know the medicine may or may not work, but I'm counting on the God who does work. Okay, I'm praying in His authority and I'm anointing in His authority. I realize, and if you've been sick, and my family certainly has. You, you have good intended people who prescribe good things and they don't work. When they do work, you rejoice, but it's not carte blanche, they don't work, because sometimes they do, but many times in my experience, they don't work. Because the power isn't necessarily in what is prescribed in the case of this spiritual context, it's in the one who's providing strength from above. All right, did that make sense? I'm praying in the name of the Lord. I'm recognizing that the authority is his, the healing capacity is his, the power is his, the strength is his, the wisdom is his, and this symbol, if it's a symbol, is meant to indicate that God is at work. If you trust him, and we are certainly trusting him. In the name of the Lord, I'm praying. This is why you say in Jesus' name at the end of prayer's. You say in Jesus' name, amen. I know it can be perfunctory. You say it so fast, you don't even think about it. But I'll tell you, when you do think about it, this is what it means. I submit to your authority, and I'm counting on your capacity. Did you hear that? I'm submitting to your authority because it's in your name, which means your will be done, not mine. Otherwise, this is a carte blanche prayer to say, guaranteed, elders pray it, they're getting healed. Well, that's not true. Paul said of Trophimus, he's sick. Epaphroditus, he was sick unto death. The Lord delivered him. He rescued him, and he helped me because I was praying that God would, but there was no guarantee that God would. Trophimus, I left him sick in Miletus. Well, Paul, why'd you leave him sick? Call for the elders, gather around, pray anoint, boom. Because when you pray in the name of the Lord, you're praying in submission to the fact that God rules, God can, and God governs. I'm submitting to his authority. His will be done. This is in the garden. Look, I'd like this cup to pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. John chapter 12, glorify your name. My heart is troubled in anticipation of the cost and the consequence of what's ahead of me. And Jesus says, should I pray that this go away? He said, no, I have come for this purpose. Glorify your name. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you pray that prayer? That's a daily prayer. When you pray in the name of the Lord, you are praying submitted, surrendering to an authority that is greater than yours and a purpose that exceeds yours. You're also praying in the confidence, the Lord, I'm praying in his name. I have access to the throne of grace. I can come boldly to the living God and receive help in time of need. The elders come. Because you're so weak, you can't hardly talk. And they pray for you after anointing you. And they anoint you in the name of the Lord. And they say, verse 15, and the prayer offered in faith. The prayer offered in faith is not some charismatic gift prayer. It's what elders pray. In this case, Praying God by faith, we believe that you can this is a faith sourced prayer this is not rec- this is not thinking i 've got power in my own office. this is not saying there was power in the rubbing of the uh, medicinal ointment. The power is in you, and my faith is in you this is uh, Mark chapter 9, my child is really ill. They're they're oppressed. If you can come. This is a transaction between a father and Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 9, where he says, if you can, you could deliver my child. Remember what Jesus said to that father? The question isn't if I can. The question is if you can if you believe that I can. That's the prayer of faith. And he said, uh, he said, "Well, well, I believe. Help my unbelief. Because faith is essential. Submission is essential. And when godly leaders pray over someone, after anointing, communicating their care and concern. They offer prayers sourced in faith, believing that God can, submitted to God's will. And they pray, and if it's according to God's will in his name, and if they are praying in faith, by faith, in the work of God, that kind of prayer can and will, the words restore is save, deliver, the one who is sick And the Lord will raise him up. Now watch this. And if he's committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Now why does he include sins with sickness? Because when you live in sin, it can affect your health. The attached idea here in this verse is, this person may be sick because of their sin. Psalm 32, Psalm 38. Man, it's like the fever heat of summer. I'm dying here. And until I confess my sin, I'm going to continue to suffer the sickness in my body. The depression that I have, the despair that I have, the difficulty I have physically, the weakness that I am enduring could be a consequence of sin. And the transaction between the spiritual leaders and the without-strength person must include and should include a question like, is there anything in your life that may be promoting the difficulty you're enduring? When I pray with people like this, I always ask that question. Because it is futile to pray for you if this is a consequence of your sin. But if you'll confess, which the passage goes on to say, and we'll stop with this, and I'll get to energized praying next week, the specifics of how to pray. But notice what it says, therefore confess your sins to one another. So you've got this attachment of sin to sickness, and then you have the the promise that if you'll confess your sin, this is speaking it out loud. confessing it to one another so this this verbalizing of yes pastor harry yes elder bob this there is something going on with me well let's deal with it let's pray right now you're confessing it let's agree with god that it's sin and that you want relief from it and let's confess your sin we'll do that with you we'll support you in that we'll verbalize it out loud so it doesn't become this source of ongoing struggle 1 John 1 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess sin is an important aspect of dealing with difficulty and sickness. Deal with it. Because otherwise, you can't deal with it. Verse 16 confess, or verse 15 rather, the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, raise them up, the Lord will raise him up, and if he's committed sins, contributing to the sickness, confessed in that transaction, they will be forgiven him. He won't have to continue to carry them. Not because the elders are some kind of priestly releasers of debt. So not the Roman Catholic Church, you confess it to me, Go and sin no more. That's not what I do. You confess it to God, and I confirm that you have, and I also affirm the benefits because you have. Prayer, life, pray in a way that produces help and support in a time of need. All right, out of time. Next week, we're going to talk about the prayer that energizes Father, thank you for the opportunity to open your word today. We pray, Lord, committed to living in a way that reflects real Christianity. And we want to be a praying people, a praising people, a supportive people. We want to learn the art of engaging help in our time of need. We want to live in a way that flourishes in a world that often is difficult. Grant us the grace for that, and we ask it together in Jesus' name for the glory of God. Your will be done. Strengthen us and sustain us. This we ask. Amen.